Overworked, a podcast. Bold storytelling. Balanced lives. Brighter futures. Welcome everyone again to Overworked with myself, Masmi, Chalin, Caitlin, and Jill. As you know, we started this podcast to start boldly telling stories of women. And we've seen that not all stories end or begin with the happily ever after. We will be talking about several things in this um, podcast, everything from gaslighting and mental health to um, specific examples of how the fairy tale is not always reality. So to start, in her book, Cassandra Speaks, Elizabeth Lesser, best-selling author and co-founder of the Omega Institute, totally talked about how in history it would be different if stories were also told from a feminine perspective. In the book, she goes into great detail about what happened with Eve um, as she bit into the apple, or did Pandora actually really open that box? And what she's trying to get at here is that if the stories were told from both a feminine and a male voice, we would then get to redefine the human experience. What's really interesting about this concept to me is the fact that even Pandora are mythical references, of course, but there are so many commonalities in today's world as well. Yeah, I love that you started, Moss, with something that's like so um, understood across history. So with these cultural references, um, but we see it every day in, in today's media and in today's publishing. I mean, how much of what we see and experience is told from the male side even today? So I think the, the story that is so timely and comes to mind to me right now is around Meghan Markle um, and the Oprah interview. Um, just generally Meghan Markle's story. And again, I know we don't want this to be a pop culture podcast, but at the same time, it's a really great foil for what everyone experiences right now. And of course, Oprah is the queen of interviewing, so we cannot not talk about this amazing interview. Like in a time where people don't tune in, people tuned in, which is amazing. But from a PR standpoint, it makes sense that the narrative out of the royal family was tightly controlled. It's the same with any corporation or any publicity or any brand. There's always somebody kind of puppet mastering behind the scenes. And as we've heard, the firm is that sort of organization behind the royal family. But what's interesting is what the media chose to cover. From the beginning of their relationship, it was Harry's romance, his new relationship, how is he drifting away from the royal family because of that relationship? And that's not to say Meghan Markle was a nobody. I mean, she had an amazing TV show that people in the U.S. loved, and still she kind of took a backstage. But, you know, there any story out of the U.K., really talked about how American she was, what she did wrong, why she didn't wave properly or she didn't wear her hat right. And it was all very appearance driven and nothing that she actually said, which could be contractual, you never know, but it also could just be the way the media portrays it. So I, I oh. oh no, I, I was going to agree with you there. And the interesting thing about this is you're right. It was what the firm wanted to show. I don't think that Harry and Meghan got a voice in the story that they wanted to tell. So when you talk about redefining the human experience, they were not even a part of their own story. And, and that was something shocking to, I think, all of us. And that's what we found out in the Oprah interview. The other interesting thing um, that I think of as you know she talks is when she says that she lost her voice and talk about Oprah being a master interviewer, she says that she was silent. And Oprah says, were you silent or were you being silenced? 
And she literally says, um, the latter. And then she likens her story to the Little Mermaid. So, you know, hopefully everyone remembers the story, but to become a human from a mermaid to marry her prince, Ariel literally loses her voice. And um, my favorite Disney movie, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Well, mine is Aladdin, but anyways. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, Challen, like that to me was, you know, when she bought it, that reference, I was like, that is incredible. Um, the likeness to that story. Yeah. And I mean, I don't think anybody would have thought, you know, she could come out and say anything she wanted anytime she wanted as a member of the royal family. But at the same time, like the details that emerged were just, they're kind of devastating. And as you reflect on what happened to Princess Diana, like just being able to see the the comparisons is so, um, I mean, it's concerning, really. So I think at the end of the day, What also isn't really told, and I think you kind of hit on this, Moss, is that Harry's side of the story really wasn't told either. And, you know, it took Oprah and her amazing skills to be able to get to this point. But to hear Harry say, my family was at risk and I wanted to take them out of that situation, which required him to make really tough decisions, leaving something that nobody in the U.S. can relate to, that's for sure. But leaving all of that tradition behind just to make sure that his wife and child were protected, I don't think that story is told nearly enough either. You're right. And what I love about that is they showed a united front. And, you know, a lot of times they'll say that a man is only as successful as the woman who stands behind him. And one, why does the woman need to stand behind anyone? <laughs> we stand beside them. Thanks. Right. And exactly. That's what I loved is they stood together and presented that united front. Um, so... Yeah, when we when we talk more about, you know, how I, I feel like the media gaslit us a lot about what was happening. And um, going back to the book a little bit that Elizabeth Lesser wrote, the title of the book I found really fascinating. And it's called Cassandra Speaks. And she proposes that this is the first time gaslighting really began. And this story happens because Cassandra is a mythical Greek character. And I believe it's Apollo who falls in love with her and gives her the power of seeing the future. And then, of course, he wants to sleep with her. And when she says no, he says, well, you're going to see the future, but no one will believe you. So can you imagine? So at the end of the story, she ends up going crazy because, you know, she tells people about the Trojan horse and all these things. No one believes her. And you know, there's a lot of tragedy in her life because of that. And what struck me about this um, in, in today's lifestyle or today's life is the fact that Pierce Morgan completely freaked out about the media's coverage of Megan. He had repeated outbursts. He was so upset that people were not believing his side or the royal side, but Megan's side. And a lot of what gaslighting is, is really not acknowledging the truth and almost twisting it. So people see your side, which isn't always very factual. Um, So that to me, you know, spoke volumes in the way a lot of people were now picking sides, not necessarily even like the Royals and Megan, but picking sides, you know, between Pierce Morgan and Megan. Yeah. I mean, the concept of somebody having control over the narrative when there's truth. How do you like the point is to get to the truth, right? And gaslighting is inherently distruthful. And 
I mean, Pierce Morgan being a man baby on TV is just kind of hilarious. <laughs> um, just watching him throw a tantrum and walk off the set is like, if a woman do, did that, can you imagine what the media would be saying about her outburst and her anxiety? And maybe she was on her period and, oh, for goodness sake, like, okay, so emotional. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but anyway, I think there are so many... Um, ways that we see this in everyday life and in work life too, um, where, you know, how you dress at work reflects a certain story. And instead of it being, you know, based on merit and how hard you work and the result that you deliver, so much of what females experience in the workplace has to do with how they look or how they speak. Um, Are they too aggressive? Are they too emotional? Did they cry for goodness sake? Like, it's it's ridiculous. I agree. You know, several years ago, I actually had um, a manager who told me I wore too much makeup. And what that had to do with my performance, I have no idea. Um, but it happened. And I remember being really upset about it and wondering how the two were related. I ended up going to HR and talking to them. But I think that would have been a very different story if I wasn't confident in myself. And if I knew that I was doing nothing wrong. You know, I think for a lot of gaslighting stories, sometimes, you know, if you're not that confident in where you stand, you can start to believe that alternative narrative. And I think this is where, honestly, your fairy tale story could sometimes start to become more like a horror story. Um, So it's important to stand in your own power and um, not always believe what you hear. And part of that speaks to that mental health stigma, right? I think what we're talking about here is that asking for help doesn't make you a damsel in distress. And for instance, when I went and to talk to HR, to talk to them about how I felt about it, it wasn't me being weak. It was me standing up and saying, I don't think this is right. And I need help about how I can broach the subject of this, you know, performance review about my makeup, you know? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I absolutely agree. And, you know, much of my background, I have some corporate, of course, but um, I also have a lot of startup where you don't have HR to go to. You can't just turn to an organizational third party who feels safe. And I remember a time where I stood up for what I believed, which was that, you know, I didn't want to work with people who were condescending and, and rude, to be totally honest. I just said, these are not the kind of vendors that we should hire. They're, they're not treating me with respect. They're not delivering projects on time. We're not doing the best that we can as an organization. And my boss actually said that I was the most confrontational person that he had ever met or worked with. And he couldn't believe that I had ever had any professional experience before. It was the equivalent of Piers Morgan throwing a temper tantrum. I remember this man's face turning like 50 shades of red. It was insane. And I finally just gathered all of my things from that meeting. I stood up and I said, we can have a conversation when you're ready to treat me like a professional. It truly was like I was taking crazy pills. I was like, how did this turn into this situation? But at the end of the day, just like you said, I stood in my own strength and I said, I'm doing my job well. When we can talk as professionals, I will come back to the table and do this. I didn't get fired. Uh, we didn't have a great relationship, but <laughs> I think I, I made my point very clear. Um, and it's an experience that I think I draw a lot of pride from going forward. Right. And I, I love that. And I think that when you do stand up for yourself, 
you do feel better. And I'm sure you felt much better having stood up instead of going back to your desk and sulking, right? Well, it was crazy. Actually, I completely coincidentally, I had a lunch with my mentor scheduled for that day immediately following this meeting completely randomly. Um, so I met, I went and met with her and just remember being like, I don't know how that conversation went so off the rails. <laughs> um, and she just gave me a lot of tips. Like if you want to stay, here's how you have a conversation to clear things up. If you want to leave, I'll connect you with people who will value your opinion and your recommendation. And so I do believe the universe works mysteriously. And had I not had that mentor meeting following, I might have felt a little bit differently. But like I said, I think just coming out of it, realizing that, no, I was not taking crazy pills. This man was reacting emotionally. And that just, it was a different narrative, right? Right. When you think about that, your mentor was almost, you know, if we use the fairy tale analogy, almost like your fairy godmother who helped guide you along the way. I think very often young women are sold on this dream of a princess life. You're going to work in corporate America and wear Chanel suits and Louboutin pumps and go to the office and look fabulous. And, you know, you leave at five and it's very sex in the city. You go get cocktails with your girlfriends go to a fabulous dinner, and then you go home. And the truth of the story is, I mean, we know this, it's really not like that. It's, you know, I I can remember one of my jobs, I got put on a project out in Manhattan, and it was for a luxury, you know, retail brand. And I was so excited. I definitely thought that I was going to be hanging out with models and photo shoots, you know, flying back and forth to Manhattan, partying with everyone. and you know, I did do some of that, but most of the time, the reality was I was sitting with my team writing requirements for this brand new website. So, which is okay too. You know, I, I didn't mind that that was part of my job, but I think it's really important to make sure that you marry that fairy tale with the reality. Um, and to know that one is not worse or better than the other. It's just life. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. Um, especially people just entering the workforce thinking about, you know, what a glamorous PR agency might do for you or, you know, a consulting firm and the amazing clients you might work for. At the end of the day, there's going to be a lot of grunt work and there's going to be a lot of sitting in a basement with fluorescent lighting, not looking amazing. (laughs) Um, But I think it's important to be able to tell the story of, you know, what you're contributing to your own future, who you're meeting along the way. Um, and just how you can learn from those experiences um, without being let down because it wasn't the fairy tale that you expected. You're right. And I think the other thing that's important to note here is that there's no such thing as a right or wrong experience. At the end of the day, there are parts of your story. And what happens um, with those parts is we learn from it and we get better, right? Um, And this is what Elizabeth Lesser speaks about in her book that how do you create your toolbox of inner strength? And I love that. I love that visual that you have this toolbox that you can pull out things like confidence, empathy, leadership skills, um, coping mechanisms, you know, what are all those different things? So Caitlin, we're going to ask you to come in here, talk to us a little bit about this and what are some of the things you see that we should have in our toolbox? Yeah, absolutely. 
I think we we talked about this a little bit last time, but what's important to remember is that there's got to be a balance between the personal work of building up your confidence and building up relationships with mentors. Um, but there's also the structural and policy work that we need to invest our time in to support one another, right? So one of the things that really stands out about um all of these stories really, and, and Meghan Markle's interview in particular, is these mental health struggles that she was dealing with and that a lot of women suffer through in silence. And, and just the lack of support system for her specifically from the royals and from the firm, uh, but on a larger scale, the lack of mental health support structures in the corporate world. So one of the things that we would recommend would be if you're company doesn't have mental health day policies or um, mental health support as part of a normal benefits package, advocate for it. Band with other people who might think that that's important. Talk to other people in your company, bring it up as a formal proposal. And this is actually the perfect time to do that because the pandemic brought mental health to the forefront of organizational focus in a way that it just has not been in the past. It took a huge toll on working families, unemployed families, um, people adapting to this, I hate to say unprecedented, but this unprecedented time. <laughs> um, companies are finally starting to see the importance of investing in long-term solutions for these problems. So if you haven't had a chance to work on those policies formally within your own company, um, whether you're an employee or a founder or a C-suite or an associate, absolutely advocate for those changes. I also want to talk a little bit about this idea of the fairy tale not being exactly what you thought it was going to be. Um, one of the things that is really helpful for getting around that, that I, I kind of want you, Challen and Moss, to um, talk about a bit is these this idea of interviewing people who are in your dream role and kind of getting the the real take on it before you jump feet first into what you think might be your dream position. So can you tell a little bit about your experience on that front? Yeah, so Challen, I'll let you talk about it, but I actually interviewed Challen. Um, <laughs> Thank goodness, right? <laughs> <laughs> so this actually is perfect because like I said, I've worked with a lot of private, smaller startup sized companies. Um, and there's so much that you cannot find online. You can do a glass door review. You can, you know, check in with people and see how their social media presence has been and what they've shared about their organization. But because they're not public, you really don't have a lot of insight into the organizational culture or what working a day in the life would be. And so my number one piece of advice to anybody joining any organization, but particularly private organizations, is to see if you can connect with anybody on staff to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation. I did this across the board actually for my current role, but I was not connected to Mossme, but yet um, until actually my interview, which I came into this interview and I wanna say I had maybe three or four male folks I interviewed who were all leadership and then two females and Moss happened to be one of them. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Moss. So I came in and um, she asked me some tough questions, right? Like that's, she wanted to make sure I was qualified. Um, and Moss, do you want to share the number one question you asked me, which I'm so glad you did? I did. Um, I wanted to make sure that Challen was strong enough to stand up 
and say what she really thought. And oftentimes in the corporate world, that can be hard. It can be hard to say, nope, I think you're wrong and this is what I think. So I wanted to be, make sure that she could do that. And you know, now obviously working together for three years, I know she can. <laughs> Well, and coincidentally, I was coming in from the other side. Like I said, I had had two roles previous to my current one where I had male leadership who did not like a female pushing back. Regardless of my tenure or my experience, though, the way I had had some reactions were completely inappropriate. And I was very, very burned by the situation. And I almost asked for my for for this role to be um, contract based until I was comfortable because I was so I had like PTSD from these men who were afraid of a strong female. So Moss, you saying like, are you strong enough? And can you handle these people? Um, And me feeling like, are they okay with a strong woman? (laughs) It honestly was so serendipitous. And then having a very real conversation with you about, you know, some of the challenges you have men that you're managing and You have a lot of different people who have a lot of different priorities and every organization has that construct. So I just absolutely appreciated and loved the transparency of that conversation and to be able to do it from a woman that I could tell clearly had respect in the organization um, just solidified my decision. It made my life a lot easier. (laughs) Well, I'm glad you accepted. And, you know, three years later, here we are. (laughs) Right. I don't know if they knew what they were getting into by combining us. They definitely did not. (laughs) All right, Caitlin, before we keep going down, you know, thank you, Caitlin. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. And I think this, like this accidental, uh, perfect overlap of bringing two people that really, really work well together. Um, I, I, I love that. And I also want to shout out the idea of preemptive interviews that you can set up by yourself. You don't have to wait for this accidental serendipity, like Talon said. If you're an introvert like me, it's a little difficult to just cold message someone on LinkedIn and say, hey, I want to be you when I grow up. Um, Can you spend 15 minutes having coffee with me? But there are a ton of resources you can look at to make it easier, simplified, a little less awkward. Um, The key advice is to come prepared about what the role you you think you want um, entails and to just keep keep the meeting short. Um, We'll link a article from the muse uh with a five-step guide to making informational interviews effective and useful and then one from the harvard business review if you want to do a little bit more of a deep dive the other thing that i i've experienced before and i want to see your take on this too challenge is that dream roles change over time and it might not stay your dream role long term so it's super important to set aside time. Maybe it's quarterly, maybe it's once every six months, maybe it's on your anniversary every year, just to assess what you truly love doing about your job and, and what you really avoid or procrastinate or desperately don't want to do. Those things, taking stock and making just even a simple list can help you see, okay, There's a lot more in the avoid column than the things that I love right now. Maybe this job isn't for me, or there's a lot of stuff that is lining up with a slightly different position in the things that I love. I need to try and pivot closer to having those be my full-time responsibility. Um, And Sean, you've used a 
pivot resource in the past when switching roles, right? Oh, absolutely. Um, It's called The Pivot Method. It's a book. It's a podcast. um, And it's the evolution of Jenny Blake, which we'll, we'll link to this in the show notes. But Jenny Blake started her career at Google creating some of their employee training. Then she went on to do her own thing. Um, She wrote a book called Life After College. So her career trajectory kind of followed mine when I was making changes in my career. So I luckily found this book and then I found her second book and her podcast. And I absolutely love what she says, which is to focus on your strengths. Essentially, at every point where you might make a change in your career, think about your strengths, which I know a lot of times we in our reviews and in work and life, we look at some of our weaknesses too. But the whole goal is to see where do I do things really well naturally or where have I acquired these skills and how do I apply them to something totally different? So it's helped me shift a lot throughout my career from being a mentor of an incubator to working at an agency and doing client management to running the show at a startup. But it helped me see what skills that I have that apply to a lot of different um, applications. So, you know, being a strong, (laughs) outspoken person is required in each of those. So it could be a soft skill like that. So it just, it's a great book. She is an amazing resource. We'll link to it. Absolutely follow Jenny Blake. She is um, one of my business crushes for sure. I want to add on to that. I think working with your strength is really important. And if we take it back to that mental health piece, it's also important to be happy in what you're doing. Because if you're happy, you're going to do a good job. So checking in with yourself, you know, every three months, every six months and say, am I still happy doing this? And if you're not, I completely agree with you, you should pivot. Um, Or think about, you know, what are the factors that are, are not helping me right now? What are the factors that are affecting my mental health? What are the factors that are causing me to lose my balance? So those are all things that you want to think about. Um, and I, you know, I have a very close friend who is currently overhauling her entire business. And she's done a lot of visualization. She's done a lot of thinking, just a lot of thinking, a lot of writing to what she wants to do in the future. And you know, through this whole process, she's kind of gained that excitement back about what she's doing. and. I think that's also important too. And I just want to say that there's never a a wrong time to write the ship. You know what I mean? We have a long life and it's important that you do something you're happy with because we spend so many hours doing this. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, And I mean, that's not to say earlier in your career, you're going to love everything you do. But I think Moss, the core of what you're saying is, does what you are doing make you more or less happy? (laughs) Like it can't be totally miserable forever. And there are going to be times where you're working extra hard because there's a project delivery or something like that. But when you take a step back and analyze your whole year or your whole month, whatever the timeframe is, are you generally happy or are you generally just pushing through slog, right? Um, I love that, Moss. And you're totally right. There is no one time to make change. I think part of that too is that you have the support system and you have this um, feedback loop with your friends, whether they're professional friends or they're in your personal life um, about what writing the ship looks like. 
I think this loops back to your idea of this toolbox for inner strength. I don't think it's just strategies and it's just you on your own looking in this toolbox for ways to help yourself. It also includes leaning on your friends, leaning on your network, your loved ones, being able to ask for help when you need it. That's that's really important. And it takes a different kind of strength than the pulling yourself up by your bootstraps kind of fallacy. Like it's, a, it's not all on you. It's on you to support your network, but for them to help lift you up as well. We have to build that community. That community is so important in so many ways. And with that, yes, tell us about the inspiration. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, of course. I I do want to start off with um, linking the access or linking the number rather for the suicide prevention hotline. Meghan Markle did allude to suicidal ideation in her interview. I think it's really important to make sure that we have that accessible to people who might need it. The number there is 800-273-8255, or you can text HOME to 741-741 for live text chatting rather than a phone call. I'm going to close with a line from a book that I recently read called The Power of Ritual from Casper Terkul. He is a Harvard Divinity Fellow. He advises aligning your soul to your role. And what really stands out about that to me is that your soul comes first. The thing that is more important is your values and the things that kind of make you more happy, like Challen said earlier. You, you don't want to ignore the work or values that resonate with your soul just because it doesn't line up to your idea of a perfect job or a perfect company. You want to let your soul lead first and the role is going to follow. The last one is we'll also link to Cassandra Speaks by Elizabeth Lesser, which we've talked about throughout the podcast. Phenomenal book. Um, we'll link that in the show notes and on the blog. Thanks, ladies, for today's episode. If you'd like to access any of the resources mentioned throughout the episode, as Caitlin said, we'll link all of them on our blog at www.weareoverwork.com. If you'd like to share any comments or feedback you have with us, you can follow and tag us on Instagram or Facebook at weareoverworked or at woverworked on Twitter. And don't forget to subscribe to our channel to get notified when we release our newest episodes. Join us in two weeks when we sit down with the author of Scale Your Everest. It's a book about entrepreneurship and the climb that's involved with that. So we're really looking forward to having him on our next episode. We'll see you then.